let's talk a little bit about feeding on today's episode. I feel like I get messages frequently on how to feed, what size, how frequent. Uh, Nathan, do you ever get those messages? Yeah, get those messages, and then we certainly talk about it quite a bit on our our Discord channel. Yeah, too. so I feel like we wouldn't be doing our listeners any due diligence or, or you know uh, justice if we didn't talk about feeding. Uh, for those of you that are new and keeping Superdor free ticks uh, or retakes in general, um, or for those of you that are keeping a while but are like, uh, you know, my snake's now two years old, how frequent, how big, so forth, so on. So I think this is going to be uh, a good episode to talk about that. Um, before we continue, um, as always, thank you so much for your support. Continue to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Retick Lounge. If you guys want to listen to us audio only, we're on Spotify and Apple Music. Don't forget to like and rate on those platforms as well. And for those of you interested in backstage access to The Retick Lounge, we have a Patreon. We will post all those links down in the description for you guys to engage any way that you guys want. Uh, for our Patreons, thank you so much for the support. We're having a blast with you guys and looking forward to our uh, Patreon live Discord chats every other Friday. Uh, you guys have been great. So, Nathan, kick us off. Let's talk a little bit about um, just kind of, I guess, from hatchling up until the age animals that you have now or until they begin to mature. What's your feeding regiment like as far as frequency? Yeah, I'll talk about feeding regimen a little bit, but uh, first, just make sure everyone's supporting US ARC. As always, uh, member numbers are more important than anything, so make sure you're a member. Uh, check that box when you're shipping out animals. Support by just giving that extra dollar. So um, my feeding regimen, uh, it just depends on the age of my animal, really. Um, so I'm looking at some of my hatchlings when they're in their first year, I'm going to be feeding them about every seven days, just enough to leave a, a nice little lump in their belly and keep it at that. Uh, after that, I'm looking at a year plus, maybe doing every seven to 10 days, just based off how my animal's acting. If I have an animal that's a little bit more active and is needing a little bit more food, I'm going to offer maybe at eight, nine days instead of waiting the full 10, but, um, try to keep it at around 10 days for the first year to about two or three until I see them really put on their adult size. And then I back off a little bit. I, I start going for three weeks, 21 days, maybe a little bit longer, just depending on how that animal's looking. So I, I think age plays a big factor and then once you get into adulthood you're looking at body tone yeah that's actually a really good point body tone is is a lot for those of you unfamiliar of what a reticulated python looks like in the wild extremely lean long very tone very muscular animals it is actually very rare to see like a retic that's like five or six years old in captivity here in the u.s uh, that has a wild type tone and muscle tone to it. And that's not to say that every retic in the U S is obese because that's not the case. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of them tend to err on the side of the heavier side of like a normal looking range. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, I just took one of my retics to the vet and, um, asked him what his thoughts were on, on weight and everything. And, um, 
you know, he said he looks good. He looks healthy. His weight was on the higher end of average or normal, which even told me, like, I can even cut back a little bit more. If you look to him, looks like a nice, healthy retic. But, um, yeah, these, these animals are very lean in the wild. So I agree with what you said in terms of, like, as they become adults. And, and I guess not adults like 8 to 10 years old, but as they get into that 3-year-old range and they start to get mature and they're sexually mature, um, you definitely want to pay attention to body tone and their behavior. Yeah, and I don't know about you or, I mean, I, I have a pretty small collection here, but I've noticed for my females around three years, they hit a major growth spurt and get to about their mature size. I wouldn't say adult size because they definitely have years to go before they reach their full potential. Um, but males maybe around two years they're they're a little bit quicker so you just have to pay attention uh, i said it on one of our last episodes i believe the last episode with eric lee i, I want my animal to have like a, a nice spinal structure like being able to see the top of the spine but still have really nice side strap muscles being able to see that definition i want it to look like a bodybuilder a little bit I mean, these aren't Burmese pythons that are sitting on the ground waiting for prey all day. They're sitting up in the trees, sitting up in the mangroves, going through the cave systems. They're they're active animals. Yeah. I, so I want them to represent that active I muscle. I can't pack. believe I couldn't get you to like even smirk a little bit as I'm doing my muscle bodybuilding. Okay. Um, you got to get those neck striations going. Um Okay, so um, as far as my feeding frequency, um, so uh, I so like I I've hatched hatchlings and um, I for the first like three to five months, um, I actually go more free. So I'll feed them meals that'll just barely barely leave a lump, but I like to feed them every like four to five days. And I don't have like, it, this isn't like a scientific fact or anything. This is just kind of like my, my mind working and kind of understanding human anatomy a little bit, but, um, they're very, mm -hmm. very young in age and they just came out of an egg and developed. And I want to get their digestive systems really strong, really healthy as early as possible. And that means that you want to get it to work, but you don't want to overstress it. So I, I think of like, I don't want to overstress a hatchling that's three months old or younger with a big, huge fat lump because that's putting a lot of stress on their digestive system. Um, and I, I also don't want to go too far in between meals um, because I want to keep that digestive system active and going. So I like to feed the sweet spot for me for hatchlings is about five days up until they're around like at the very longest, five, six months old. I think for my hatchling that I held back, I think I did every five days for the first five months. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that, I go for weekly. And I do weekly up until about a year. And once I go to weekly, I start to give them a, a noticeable lump. Um, and I like to see that lump digested and, and break away even within... 36 hours or so. Um, well, and I want to stop you there too, because a big part of this is also paying attention to the digestion yeah. of your animal. 
has it pooped since right. its last meal? Exactly. Has it has it peed? Like just just watch your animal. I mean, it'll it'll tell you a lot, especially during breeding season when feeding ramps up for these females. You'll notice them processing their food. Yeah. Twice as fast, yeah. easy. I mean, you'll you'll be getting pee and poo within a few days instead of waiting that yeah. week. So. Yeah. Um. So once my snakes hit about a year and a half old, um, I will usually start to transition some of them over to every two weeks. Um, so, some stay on every 10 days. Really, it just, again, depends on how they're looking, how they're behaving. And, and let me just preface this real quick. Um, we get a lot of questions about how do I feed my retic? And um, I, I we can give you general guidelines. And at the end of the day, that's, that's only what they are, our guidelines, because I, I truly feel that one retake is not going to be the same as every other retake. And um, what's important for me is I really just observe and pay attention to my animal's behavior. There's times where, you know, a snake that's used to eating every two weeks in my care, um, after about 10 days, they're, you know, pacing back and forth. Um, I need to take them out to clean and they're just lunging out with a food response. They're biting the hook. They're doing everything to tell me like, yo, it's time to eat. And I'm like, okay. So on those occasions, I will feed earlier. Anytime that I do feel feed earlier, it's typically a somewhat smaller meal um, to hang them off into that next meal. And then I'll give them back to a normal size meal. But, but yeah, once, once my snakes mm -hmm. hit two years old, I'm going to every two weeks and um, I, I really don't go to three weeks or sometimes even a month until they're about four. Excuse me. I have about, um, I have a handful of animals that are four or older. And for my older retics, um, I, I tend to, I just switched and did this. Uh, and, and we'll talk about this a little later in the podcast, but I, I transitioned them to switch them to much larger meals, um, but a lot less frequently. Um, and, uh, I even find now with my ambient heating that they still digest extremely quick, uh, without like a scent, a, a set hotspot. But, um, yeah, so it, it's really going to vary depending animal to animal behaviors. But at the end of the day, it's for me, it's like every five days, every seven days up to a year and a half, um, you know, every 10 days up to two years and then two years plus every two weeks and then I extend it longer as they get older and they grow larger. Um, and I think right now I only have one or two animals that I have like on a, uh, greater than three week regimen. Um, but that's also because I'm giving them really good sized meals. Yeah. And I'll, I'll like, like we said, all of this depends on age, time of the season, body tone, that, that kind of thing. But uh, jumping out of just kind of our feed schedule and, you know, age of how we're feeding everything, you want to jump into maybe some of the variety you're offering your animals? Yeah. What, so I, I feed just about everything that you can commercially buy. The only things that I don't really feed uh, that I know a lot of people feed mainlands um, are guinea pigs. That's, that's actually the one mm -hmm. prey item that I have not purchased from a place like Rodent Pro that sells them. But um, I, when I, I'm feeding my hatchlings, you know, I, it's mice and, uh, 
and rats. And then once they get to about six months and they've gotten a little bit more size and their digestive systems are good, I actually switch them over for like almost almost until they're about a year old, I switch them over to chicks. And I do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, chicks are lean. Um, number two, more than likely when they're that size in the wild, um, or, or just in general, they're feeding off of, uh, birds, some type of bird, bats, something with wings, right? Um, even though bats are kind of not the same as like a feathered bird, but not, not a whole yeah. lot of meat. Though. Um, but, uh, I will say like any of you that have actually fed any of your retics chicks, um, I don't know if you have Nathan, but, um, chicks are like crack for my retics. <laughs> They, they're they're insane i mean I've, I've had some retics that if i feed them five chicks in a row sometimes it's a pain to get them back to rats and and mice that's one of the reasons i've avoided it i've i've had one of my good buddies who was one of the sole reasons i got into retics um i went down south to his location and uh he had a couple animals that would only feed off of live baby oh. chicks and he was so frustrated with it. And <laughs> but no, I, I, I've always contemplated it. I've, I have a little tractor supply store down the road that I could easily go get some. Baby I don't, chicks. I don't even go live, but yeah, yeah. I have, I haven't fed anything live to my animals yet. I've, uh, luckily been, uh, able to just feed frozen thawed. So yeah, that's the, been nice. The chicks, I will say um, comparable in size to like a rat pup. And they are astronomically more affordable. So once you get up to having a bigger collection yeah. and you have to feed a lot of animals, it saves you a really nice penny when you're able to switch them and get them there um, to, to eat chicks. Um, I've only had one or two animals over the uh, several years, the four and a half years I've been keeping retics, uh, that gave me a little bit of kickback. But typically just like the scenting together did the trick. Um, so... Yeah, so I fed chicks, I fed quail, I fed mice, or, or, or I feed. I feed mice, rats, chicks, quail, bunnies, and pigs. I have every single one of those in my freezer right now. Now, would you say you have a main source of protein? Um, It's mostly rats. I, I, very, I rarely do mice. I only do like mice fuzzies for hatchlings. Um, and then I get them off of mice. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's mostly rats until they get to a size where a rat is like a jumbo rat is roughly the same size as like a 0.7 to one pound pig. And then I like getting them switched over to pigs. And I just recently found a really good rabbit source where I can get them all the way from half a pound. So right now, the most that I'm feeding my collection is rabbits. That's my main source of protein, and it has been for the last six months. The last six months prior to that were pigs, um, but for the smaller animals, definitely rats. That's going to be the number one go-to. Okay. Um, for the smaller animals, I like yeah. chickens, quail, and rats. And if I had to like throw out a number for every like four to five rats I give it, I'll give it a chicken or quail. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty similar. Uh although I haven't fed the variety that you have. I've fed uh mice, rats, and rabbits at this point. Um like I said, I would love to try quail at this point, uh chicks, something like that. Uh 
even pigs would be great. I don't know if I already said that. I very well could have. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think just my philosophy on on the variety I feed, obviously I want to switch things up just to not keep them complacent or just feeding off the same thing every every yeah. meal. Uh, I generally feed rabbits if I can. So I'll, I'll start my hatchlings off with mice, just like you said, try to get them off those as fast as possible. Get them up to some rat pups. Um, from rat pups, once they reach around the nine month to year mark, once you know the stuff that I'm working with gets big enough, I start offering rabbit kits and kits are uh, for those who aren't savvy with the rabbit terminology. It's a pinky rabbit, which they're like, uh, I wish I could. They're like the, the width of a, a big dude's thumb, maybe, maybe my thumb and you know, yeah, they're skinny and long, which is cool. I like, I like rabbit kits a lot. Um, my rabbit source, whenever they have uh, rabbit kits that just don't do well, or the mom leaves them, um, they just throw Winter yeah, time, they just baby. throw those in there for me for free. Winter time or peak summertime. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's just when they're dying off early because, I mean, all these rabbit breeders, they want to be able to re- raise those animals. They don't want to be culling off kits for people to feed to their snakes. But every once in a while, you're able to get a get a decent batch of them, throw them in the freezer. And that's, that's what I've been lucky enough to be able to do. Um, from there, I've been able to get them at almost any size up to two and a half pounds i could go beyond that but just that's kind of around where i'm comfortable cutting it off two and a half pounds i could probably feed three pounds but i just don't feel it's totally necessary to throw that large of a meal at any yeah. of my animals um for those of you that haven't tried pigs before you're like on the fence of trying them one thing that i will say that 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 um i was informed by a, a great mentor of mine um uh, name rhymes with Blarit Glardle. Um, he, uh, I, I had a, my very first clutch of Kalatoa and, and her very first clutch before mine, she's a wild caught animal. The eggs were very soft and very flimsy. You can tell that they just weren't calcified very often. And, and he told me to try pigs, um, that pigs generally speaking, just because they have a full rib cage, a skull, they're, they're loaded with bone structure versus a rat. Um, that that might help with, you know, their calcium intake. And, um, yeah, I, I fed my Wildcock Calato almost exclusively pigs that next year. And, uh, her eggs were solid. So that's, I, I never, uh, I don't think I ever got the full story about why he had you feeding pigs but the the theory behind that makes a lot of yeah, sense. yeah he just like recommended that. he's like give them a shot he's like when my females are cycling i throw pigs because they're loaded with calcium and that's what they need to have good eggs and i was like yeah that yeah. that makes sense uh so i i went with that and um yeah that worked out for the better and so um i do that with a lot of my my females now that i get to cycle i, I will switch them over to pigs during the breeding season nice yeah and we've kind of already gone over how we we personally feed. Now, what about size of prey? How are you how are you measuring up the prey that you're thawing out for your yeah. animals? How do you know if it's appropriate? Yeah, I don't. People aren't going to like this answer that I give because uh, I know a lot of people that are looking for advice are looking for a straightforward answer. Like I, I know a, a buddy of mine that, that well, 
we talk on and off and everything. And he, he's like, I, you know, I, I feed it, you know, 25% of its body weight every so-and-so. And I'm like, how do you do that? And they're, Oh, I weigh my snake. And then I weigh the food on a scale and whether it's two prey items or three prey items or one prey item, it equals 25% of its body weight. And I'm like, I don't got time for all that. <laughs> so, um, really I, I just, I, I start off safely something that I know the snake can handle and I look at the, the bump. And if I think that that lump can be bigger safely, I'll go up. But ideally, um, I, I tend to feed a little bit larger meals than most do and tend to spread out the frequency a little more. So I like to see a good size lump in my retic. If, if my retic, if that lump is gone in, in 12 hours, wasn't big enough for me. Um, I, I want to see a lump to where if I open up that tub after it eats, I'm like, there's the food clearly, um, and leave it at that. Um, and then, so, I mean, it's really hard to say without having like an animal in, in my hands right now to tell you what size I, I feed. But, um, if, if an animal is, this is where I get to do my shapes again. If an animal is like this round and the thickest part of its body I like to see it like that round after a meal. I like I like to see a good size lump. And typically with the way I have my ambient heating set up, that lump is gone within 24, 36 hours and they crap within three days. Um, so, uh, and then if it's a really big meal and I did that, you know, I didn't gauge it well and it's a big meal and it takes a while to crap, I definitely, definitely wait for it to fully crap and digest before I even think about offering it food again. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty similar. My the mentor that I had coming up in this, he always told me, you know, uh, general rule of thumb, you know, this isn't a, a science by any means, but he'd say he was comfortable feeding his animals anything that at the widest point of the prey was around one and a half times the size of yeah. the animal. So enough to leave that large enough lump that sits in them for a little bit. Um, and you can clearly see that the animals yeah. ate. So that's what I've always looked for. So pretty similar to Lucas on on this aspect. Uh, the only time where I'll maybe up that just a little bit is come breeding season. So that's where I break off from the advice of my mentor maybe yeah. a little bit. Oh, one thing that I would that a mentor has, has informed me about um, – uh, on, on feeding males. So, and, and I like his theory a lot about this. Um, and, uh, man, I, I, I like always battle. Should I give people credit for the information they tell me? But then again, I don't want them to, you know, if they don't want their name on here. So anyways, um, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm the same way and my buddy's pretty private. So I, I, I just leave it at yeah, my mentor at this um, point. So, um, I actually recently talked to him at Arlington and he, he struck up a good point. Um, when, when you get to breeding, since Nathan was just talking about breeding, when you get to breeding, um, sometimes you go through issues where if you feed your males very far out, like every two to three weeks, and then you get to breeding season and you're bringing that one male to two or three females, um, you know, sometimes they will go off of food because they want to breed a lot. And um, what he's done to curb that is he feeds all of his male retics every seven to 10 days 
a, a appropriate size meal that barely leaves a lump, but he does it frequently to always have their food response engaged and active. And he said that since he switched doing that, he's never had a male ever go off of food while breeding with multiple females. Because if you have a male breeding multiple females and they go off of food, there's a chance that they can lose a lot of body weight really quick. And that's not good for the, the male. Everyone here watching is thinking, oh, I'm getting all this good advice, whatever, whatever. I just got a major key for my <laughs> season. I've never tried to run a male to more than one yeah. female. So this is advice that I didn't yeah. know I needed before I needed it. So, yeah, thank I mean, you. it's like, for example, if you have an ocelot and you want to take that ocelot to multiple localities like I do in the future and you're bouncing him around, you want to make sure he doesn't go off of food or he's going to breed himself down to being skinny and ineffective. And yeah, so. Well, pairing starts after <laughs> Tinley this weekend. So uh, time to switch up some some thinking. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was one thing. So, I mean, there's so much that we could talk about with, with feeding the little nuances, but just generally speaking, we've already covered age and frequency. We've covered variety. We've covered size and we've talked all about this from a personal perspective. Um, before we jump into a topic, I want to talk about, uh, UK feeding style versus us feeding style. You have anything else that you want to mention? No, I'm I'm really interested for this portrait portion. I haven't done a ton of research on how the UK guys are doing their feedings. I've heard little talks here and there about it from you, from other guys in the community. So I, I'm just excited. I mean, we've really covered quite a bit about how a lot of people in the dwarf super dwarf uh, market are kind of feeding right now. I'm not going to say everyone's feeding just like Lucas and I, but you know, it, as a general rule of thumb, we don't have obese animals we're pretty happy with the tone of everything so it's a general guideline to yeah. start with so one thing that has kind of changed a little bit about the way that i feed my animals and i only do this with my very mature animals so animals that are going to be six years or older um and mostly mm -hmm. you know i mean and i don't have a, a six-year-old or male so this just goes to my females but in the uk i've talked to a lot of people over in the uk people from germany indonesia um and this mostly attributes to their mainlands, but I've heard of some super dwarf breeders that do the same thing. But um, I, I talked to one person in particular that like was going on a rant about like how we feed here in the U.S. on how we feed every two to three weeks. And for most of us, especially super dwarf dwarf keepers and even main, like people here in the, the U.S. think three weeks to a month uh, in between meals is like a long time. Um, but in the UK, these guys are feeding, um, very large meals every three months, two, three months. Like they're, they're feeding a massive size meal and then allowing that snake to work really hard to break down that animal, to digest it. And then after that, allowing the snake to sit there, do what it does. And then to roam around, to pace, to do what it needs to, to get active, to burn off, to build muscle tone and then throw it another big meal. I've talked to at least five breeders in the UK, um, well, not breeders, but keepers and breeders in the UK um, that say that it is very rare that they'll feed a mature adult retic more than five or six times a year because a lot of them will fast. You're on mute. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Does that remind you of someone that we've already talked to? This this this, this brings back a, a topic from one of our first, if not our first interview. Cusco? Lucas. How do, I yeah, got a goldfish Cusco. brain. He's Sorry, feeding, brain. He's feeding very similar. I think his females are getting five to six meals yeah. a year. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing to consider. Do you go much bigger, go further along, let them active, let them move around more, take them out more and do that? Or do you stick with what we're doing here and, you know, feed every two weeks when they're, they're at a mature size. And, and that's the whole thing about like why a lot of people might not like some of the information in this episode, because it's not like this is step one, step two, step three, step four, because in reality, I mean, we still have so much to learn about these animals. So why not try to do some experimentation with what you do? I mean, I, I treat my, my lab, my snake, uh, garage, like I'm running observations and I'm, I'm trying new things and I'm, I'm trying to, uh, recreate some things and, and, and not, not just go based off of information that I've been told, which I did at first listen to like, you know, like the Bible. Um, but now I, I've tend to been experimenting, you know, my turnates, I give them really big meals every three weeks or so. Um, and that's done really well for them. I do the same thing for my Philippines. Um, my my Kalatoas are a little different. I give them a good size lump every, you know, 14 to 20 days or so. Um, so it, it's really just, it's trial and error of what I do with that. But I just, I like the idea of, um, I mean, some of the people in the UK even said, you know, sometimes they will go off of food and have like a dormant period. When you feed them these really big meals, they've observed that they'll eat three or four and they won't eat their last two meals of the year um, because it's cooler. The weather gets cold and they just, they go off of food. And it's like, if you think about it, like three mm -hmm. to four meals a year, that's like what a lot of people in the U S do in less than two months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th think about it. We hardly know how to feed ourselves. So you think one of us is going to have the perfect answer for you to yeah. feed your snake. I'm sorry, but that, that doesn't make a whole, whole lot of sense to me. There's, we've been arguing for ages on how to just nourish our own bodies. Right. So yeah, it, it makes no sense to me that we would think that we'd have uh, the husbandry of any animal, let alone a retic, yeah. on lock. I think it goes down to just making sure that an animal looks healthy, looks toned, is living a long time. Yeah. Just general mark markers of which a doesn't animal. happen often. In from my observation, we don't have a lot of retics. I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't even cover one hand of how many retics I know of that are over 20 years old. Uh, of over 20, I I'm trying to think of one, right? Even exactly. One. Um, because uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's someone in, in our circle that has something sitting around. Oh, I know. I know one. Garrett that, has, no, I, Garrett yeah, has grandma Madu. Yeah. Yeah. I know of Garrett's. He might have one other that's around that yeah. age as well or close yeah. to 20, but it's, it's just far and few between. Are you seeing that? You're seeing, you're seeing some at ten, but yeah. fifteen. You know, it's just I I want to have my animals right. that long. 
Um, I, I need to go on a rant. Can I want to okay. do like a? The floor we, we need is to yours. Have like a, a a little cut segment that's like Lucas's rant. Um, because I feel like we need to we need to have a soapbox that right. we put you on. I feel on like top I do of. this every episode, so I'm sorry for you guys that don't like them. Um, so one thing that I want to make sure that I discuss on and that I feel strongly about, um, within the Superdorf community, um, when it comes to having a small animal. I can express the importance of it being bloodline related. If you are manipulating your animal to be small because you are feeding sparsely, I, I just I don't I don't like that. Um, I don't like. I'm I'm upset that we haven't hit that at this right. until this but, point. Uh, but yeah. so I because oftentimes like I will get questions on uh you know I'm feeding my animal a rat pup and I'm like okay, great. How old's the animal? And they're like, almost two. And I'm like, wait, why? And, and I'm like, how big of a, you know, send me a picture of the size of a lump that it leaves after you feed it and they'll send it and they'll circle the lump. And I'm still like looking for it. And, and I, I'll advise those people. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? It's not going to hurt it. If you give it a bigger meal, I dare you to give it like three small rats. And, and I mean, it's crazy how like sometimes you know, I've gotten feedback actually recently from someone that was like, hey, I listened to your advice. I gave it a bigger meal. And in the last two months, it's grown so much. And I'm like, yeah, that's because it needed calories to grow and you just weren't giving it calories. Um, so. But on the flip side of that, if it's meant to be small, be small, you should still feed it appropriately and it'll be small. I have a four and a half year old, 87 and a half percent Kalatoa tiger. And I, I have fed her one pound rabbits yet she's the size of i less than a soda can garden hose like she's small she's really small and i've tried to push feed to just see like does she just need extra calories no she's just staying small um so yeah if if you want a small retic try to find a line that's you know known for being smaller and everything do not do not manipulate your snakes size by restricting and limiting food intake to the point where you're 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 not allowing that snake's genetic potential to take place in other words you're letting its digestive system get dormant and a lot of people that are new will do that with very young animals which is why i I talked about earlier about feeding every five days i want to get that digestive system kicking if my snake grows a good amount within those first five six months that's okay that doesn't mean it's going to be a massive animal when it's an adult that just means i wanted to give it that kickstart that it needs to be happy healthy and and really have a good digestive system um because that's important for their long-term health um you know you can talk about how all day about how obese retics die early but you know no one's ever paid attention to the opposite you know what's happening to these animals that have um that that don't have you know a good healthy digestive system other sides of the things that we don't look at because we're so used to seeing the obese animals. Don't be afraid to feed your retic because one thing that I will share with you guys that I've shared before in other episodes, I've been able to cut back the weight of, of my wild caught retic when I first got her. So cutting back weight on a retic is not hard. It's also not fun because they want to eat you every time you open their enclosure, but you can cut back weight. Um, so like we said from the beginning, just pay attention to body tone and, um, and I know body tone can still look good if you're under feeding, but um, don't don't be 
scared for your retic to to grow healthy and normal as it should. No, but if they're not getting enough food, you're, there's markers for that too. Their color's not going to be as bright. They'll start looking a little bit dehydrated. Their skin will just be a little flabby. Like you can pinch the skin a little bit. Like uh, that's not what you want. I mean, yeah, you can pinch the scales of a retic a little bit, but I don't want to see <laughs> excess skin in this snake look yeah. like it's melting. Yeah. Um, and then just another thing to consider, we keep these super dwarf retics, um, that some of them are crossed with mainland, some of them are pures, but also keep in mind, like they are fending for themselves. Like they, they, it's like survival of the fittest out there. And there's not a big food source on these islands like Kalatoa and Madu. And I mean, I'm sure they're mm. in bat, you know, in cave system, there's bats around and everything, but they're not going to be very big meals. So um, keep in mind that if you try to replicate that in captivity, you're going to have a very, very hungry food responsive retic that sometimes can be unmanageable. And so for me, I've always tried to strike the best balance of giving them the food that they need in order to thrive and not survive. Because remember, in the wild, these snakes are literally trying to survive by getting their next meal. We don't have to do... Yeah, you think they're coming across food every five to seven days no. when they're first born? You think you think the adults are able to find a meal every month even, every two months? No, it's, it's very opportunistic. They have to be in the right spot, you know, and if they're not, their lives yeah. depend and, on it. And so in the wild, they have gotten to the size they are because they literally every single day are just trying to be alive and survive. We don't need to do that in captivity for them because... Superdors used to have a reputation when they were imported as being flighty and nasty and, and all these different things. And that's just because they, again, were either being killed by other, you know, apex predators out there like the water monitors that Daniel Solis found. Or they're just really trying to find their next meal. And in captivity, we don't have to allow them to continue to have that instinct. What we just need to do is be responsible and pay attention to their body composition and makeup and make sure that they are you know, the, the best of both worlds where they're not always hungry, trying to kill you. And also where they look healthy and they're acting in, in a healthy manner. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You want, you want your retic to look like the Michael yeah. Jordan of snakes long and lean. All right. I, th I think we hit feeding as much as we can over the head. Do you have anything else to add? Yeah. Now I think that's it. Remember, guys, we have our Patreon up. If you want to become a lounger, make sure to subscribe today. We have a bunch of back access stuff going up right now. Uh, we just added a fireside chat with Ryan McVeigh going over full spectrum lighting. That is incredible. Uh, we have behind the scenes videos of Lucas and myself working with our own collections. We have a great discord. So uh, hop on over there for as little as five dollars a month. As well, uh, make sure you're supporting US ARC. Make sure you're liking, commenting, and subscribing to help the algorithm. And we'll see, see you next time. Everyone.